Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 35, as we finish chapter 13 this morning. Luke 13, verses 10 through 35. The narrow gate. Our lives are filled with many choices, are they not? You know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What can I do to make me happy? <laughs> right? You know, a lot of the choices that we make, uh, they don't have any long-term effects upon our lives. But on the other hand, there are some choices that we make that have tremendous long-term effects and can even change our destiny. Some of those choices can result in tremendous hardship as well. In this morning's text here, we're challenged to make good choices and avoid decisions that, you know, would otherwise be harmful and damaging to us. God doesn't want us to be damaged by sin. He wants us to abstain from it so that we're protected from its destructive results. Our life experiences teach us to adjust our behavior along the path to our destiny. You know, it's like driving down the highway, uh, this morning and wherever you go daily, uh, you have to make a series of negative corrections in order to keep yourself between the lines. You know, the white line on the right side and the yellow one on the middle, right? <laughs> you know, you, you get outside those lines, you're vulnerable. You could easily, and of course, in our narrow roads in South Carolina, that that ditch is dangerous, and it's not very far away from that white line. And, and so it's necessary to make those negative adjustments to stay in our lane. And the same is true with life. We have to make a series of negative adjustments to stay on the highway of holiness to enjoy the life that God wants to give us. And by doing so, we maintain a safer journey. And so this morning, what we'll see here is learning how to avoid hypocrisy. It's a negative adjustment. Learning how to avoid spiritual reluctance. Learning how to avoid presumption and also resisting God. Those are negative things that can shipwreck people and even affect their eternal destiny. So we're exhorted this morning to avoid those things. As we begin our Reading this morning in verse 10, we're going to see this afflicted woman healed on the Sabbath. And there are some good things in there for us as well. Pick it up here in verse 10. Now, it was, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way rise, raise herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and he said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days in which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them. Not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him and said, 
hypocrite? Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman be a daughter, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and the multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Spirit of infirmity. It is the idea of being incapacitated, weak and limited. This is the state of our flesh. Our fallen human nature is weak, it's frail, it's vulnerable. And we are constantly, whether we are aware of it or not, under the assault of the enemy from the unseen realm. You know, our minds and our hearts must be guarded. We must hold fast to the truth. We must not listen to some of the lies that are whispered in our ears. Now, this spirit of infirmity, is, and this is one of the mysterious things about life, and especially as you're reading through the Gospels, and you see that apparently demons can, in, from the unseen realm can afflict sickness and illness upon humankind. They're more powerful uh, than we are, and it's a mysterious thing because we really don't know how that happens. Now, this is a spirit, a spirit of infirmity, a spirit of weakness. There are a lot of people who get used to these lies spoken into their ears. I'm, and not to pick on anybody, but pick your disease. I'm a diabetic. I'm this. I'm that. I'm an alcoholic. I'm, and that, look, no, you're not. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. That may be what you have fallen into. That may be the trap that's, that's got a hold of you, but that's not who you are. But somehow, the spirit of infirmity had afflicted this lady. How that happened, we don't know. Now, the only thing I can relate to that is my own experience when i traveling and, and going uh, to Uganda. We were out in the boonies, which isn't too hard to get there <laughs> from the city. And as we were in the little uh, church building there that they met in, uh, we, we were uh, praying for the people. There was a couple pastors with me, and we formed uh, three lines, and people just kept coming, and they kept coming, and we kept praying. And we were praying for their needs. And we would work through an interpreter to find out what we exactly were praying for. And it happened to be one of the fellows that came in my line. Uh, was kind of hunched over a little bit. Young, young fellow. Uh, not too old. Uh, but he was kind of holding his arm like he had an injury. And so th through the interpreter, we found out that he, his arm was incapacitated, uh, infirmity. Uh, he was having these incredible headaches, and he, and he told us through the interpreter that he uh, had been cursed by a witch, and ever, ever since that happened, he was unable to work and to use his arm. And so um, we laid hands on him, we anointed him with oil, and we prayed for him, and the Spirit of God came upon him in a special way. And he was able to move his arm, 
the headaches went away, and he was born again. The first thing we did is lead him to Jesus. But I believe that that's what happens, is people, when they open doors, and they get out from underneath the umbrella of God's protection, they open themselves up to the curses that Satan can bring upon them. And man cannot break those yokes, but the Spirit of God can. And when we pray and seek the Lord, the curse can be broken, can be lifted. Now, this is an interesting story because this, is, this story here is the only place uh, in the Gospels that it's mentioned. Mark doesn't mention it. Luke, um, I mean, uh, Matthew doesn't mention it, nor does John. And so this is, I kind of wonder why Luke chose this particular testimony of Jesus uh, to place in his gospel. Um, you know, if you think about the message that Jesus is trying to bring to the nation, they uh, were of a nation that was actually in bondage. They had the law, but they were in bondage. They had so rebelled against God that they no longer were a free nation. Jesus was coming to set the people free by introducing to them uh, the gospel of the kingdom. They could be a, truly be a free people, free from the power of sin. And it was crippling the nation. The use of the law, the leadership was using the law to enslave the people rather than to teach the people and to set them free from, from the law. They were not walking uprightly, if you will, uh, because of the leadership, they were not being taught how to fellowship with God, how to walk with God. They were not being encouraged in their faith. And this is uh, what Jesus' ministry was all about. And what they were doing actually was indoctrinating the people uh, in the traditions of men. They begin to exalt their interpretation of the law and make it higher and more important than what was actually written in the law of Moses. And so Jesus' ministry was to bring healing to the nation through faith. He would demonstrate, and he did demonstrate, grace and compassion on those that were crippled by the enemy. It was the word of God that set the people free. And, you, and this is, you wonder, you know, why would the leadership reject Jesus? Why would they reject his ministry and, well, and refuse this healing that was so necessary for the people? You know, think of this poor woman, as Jesus said, imagine... 18 years and you're, you're upset? You're angry with God and you're angry with me because this poor lady was healed on the Sabbath? Are you kidding me? No, he didn't say that, but I did. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some people, hypocrisy is so blinding. It's so foolish. She received the healing and immediately she was made straight and immediately glorified God. And this is what happens to those of us who receive the word of God. We are immediately straightened out. How many of you were crooked? You were messed up. You had no direction in your life. You were floundering. You were confused, living in darkness under the power of the curse, really. Just a, a slave to your flesh. And when Jesus came into your life by the power of his spirit, he straightened you out. I don't know if that's your testimony. That was mine. And he straightened me out, and he's still straightening me out. <laughs> but I want to give glory to God because of his power to do such a work in the 
heart of a fallen person. It is a miraculous thing. Think about the miracles that are sitting in this sanctuary this morning. We're every one of us, we're a walking miracle. How the God of heaven is able to reach through and cause a sinner to see. Give us the heart to repent and turn to him, to believe him and to receive forgiveness. What a wonderful thing. And I, you know, notice the people there in verse 17, um, the adversaries were put to shame and the people rejoiced. <laughs> I, sorry, I just found that a little amusing. I mean, wait, go Jesus. I knew those hypocrites, they need to be put in their place, you know. There's just something about when something's wrong and what's made right it just, yes, it's yes, yes and amen, right? I mean, we're sick of this stuff, right? And, and you guys putting this on us and, you know, and Jesus really gave him a perspective. You guys love animals more than you love people. That's how blinding hypocrisy is. It's okay, you know, if I, you know, break the Sabbath here by watering my animal and feeding my animal, you know, in some places, taking it out of the ditch if that's what's happened on the Sabbath. But Lord forbid that anybody, any good thing would happen to people. You know, the Sabbath is good. So we all need rest. Healing's good. Is it necessary that there be a conflict here? I don't think Jesus thought so. Because he healed people on the Sabbath. And man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man because we need time of rest. We need time to meditate. Not only rest our bodies, but just encourage our relationship with God. And God is always looking upon the heart. You know, you know if I would continue to pursue my work seven days a week, week after week, month after month, year after year, I would just burn myself out. I would actually destroy myself. God has made us, and our bodies have rhythm. And when we get in that rhythm and we walk at that pace that we're supposed to, which involves a daily time of rest, often we're much better off. God knows how we're built. He built us, and he knows what's best for it. And we can lie to ourselves, well, I'm just doing this to get ahead for now. How many people feel like they have to work seven days a week all the time because they're trying to get ahead? That is a lie. You know what? You'll never really get ahead. And I'm not sure what that really means, but that's what we say to ourselves. Give God this time. Take time to rest yourself before him. And pick the day of the week you want to do that. But just do it, right? The thing to note here is that not everyone and all the miracles that Jesus did happened on the Sabbath. He healed on other days. But why was it the Sabbath seemed to be the day that he picked out? Was he really just trying to tick them off? Make the Pharisees man? Nee, 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 nee. No, I don't think so. It's just that's when they came to church. They came to worship God. They came to honor God they, because they believed God and they wanted to be faithful to God. Well, they're there. They have needs. And Jesus was more than willing to meet their needs. 
So a lot of the healings did take place on the Sabbath, and we don't really care what the Pharisees or the leadership thought. Meet the needs of the people. That's what ministry is all about, is it not? Meeting the needs of the people. Or to avoid hypocrisy. It's a dangerous thing. The second thing to avoid is spiritual reluctance. And found in these two parables, 18 through 21. Let's read them. And he said to them, what is the kingdom of God like? Well, what shall I compare it? Well, it's like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And so, with parables, there's, in this particular one, it's all about growth. And the kingdom of God is something that needs to grow within each and every one of us. Growing and expanding things. Here, the mustard seed, the smallest of the seeds, uh, in a short time becomes very large, as described there. Uh, They come and lodge Birds come and lodge in its branches. And then, of course, leaven, a little, eventually corrupts the whole loaf. And so, as we uh, see here, this planting of the seed is what happens with you and I. The seed of God's truth coming through his word is planted, and then our faith begins to grow. And one thing about our faith is that we can sort of regulate our spiritual growth, not completely, but to some degree. The more we water it, the more we feed it, the faster and quicker it grows. And doesn't take much. The mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds, and yet it can grow into one of the biggest uh, trees, uh, as we know. Notice, too, that birds land in its branches. Now birds, uh, there are unclean birds mentioned in the scripture, some that could be offered uh, in the, under the Mosaic Levitical order, and then there were the unclean birds that could not be offered. And the idea here is there is going to be people that seek to enter the kingdom that are clean, and that there are those who will be unclean. I think it's important to understand uh, as you look at through all the parables that there's going to be this mixture that takes place as time would progress. The church would grow quickly and fast, and, but there would also be an infiltration uh, and the good mixed with the evil along the way. It would remember how huge the church became right away in the book of Acts. 3,000 were saved, 5,000 were saved, just expanding quickly. And then we also know how quickly the enemy sought to corrupt the church through Ananias and Sapphira and the lying. And God demonstrated uh, what he thought of hypocrisy at that point. And so uh, parables here, and, and we probably need to mention why why did Jesus use parables? That's an important 
understand, a thing to understand. Uh, they paint a picture of a truth that he is wanting to communicate to the people. Uh, he gave he gave the disciples because they asked him about this, and he said, "Well, it's it's to teach and reveal truth to sincere people, true believers, but those who are not sincere and are just there for other reasons, the truth will be concealed to them uh, because they are not approaching it with faith." And actually, uh, the third reason is it's obviously fulfilling Scripture, Isaiah 6, 9. Uh, these people would keep on hearing and yet not understand. You want to pull up that, we'll read it together. Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to that Scripture. That This is a fulfillment of prophecy. And this is one of the things that, uh, again, every time people would question the identity of Christ and wonder, is this really the right guy? He would always point them to the scriptures, the fulfillment of prophecy. And this one here is um, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 6 of Isaiah. He said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Shut their eyes lest they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. And we're to avoid this spiritual dullness, spiritual reluctance to get involved with spiritual things. Well, you know, I know when I first got saved, I kind of had this coming from my mom. You know, I was a, really living as a sinner, and then I get converted, and I'm ra it's a radical conversion. It's like, well, don't go too far with Jesus, you know. Like he's going to hurt you or you're going to get hurt. Now, you know, my mom probably had her reasons. And, and I probably, I did have a, a zeal without knowledge, if you will. And, and that's, never, that's never a good thing. But in this case, being exposed to people that are not sincere, if you're just not really that into Jesus, you're never really going to understand. It takes a sincere, seeking heart to understand the ways of God. So you can, you know, keep on playing. What is, what do we got here? I'm not a roamer, so we should, we should be okay. <laughs> it's been quite distracting here. Sorry about that. You know, our physical senses, we hear the words, right? And we understand the language. And this is what was going on with Jesus' teaching. People, they understood what he was saying, but their inward soul, their, their spirit, uh, did not comprehend the importance of the message, and so make the heart dull. What the idea is, fat. Uh, you know, it, what is setting in there is the hardness of heart, and this is why it's really, it's a warning 
in, in, for all of us in a sense that we can, if we're exposed to spiritual truth and we don't respond to it, if there's that reluctance uh, within us that, well, you know, not too much, that's really a letting your heart begin to subtly harden. And Jesus reproved the disciples for that regularly, didn't he? You know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Why didn't you bring, did you bring bread? I mean, they didn't understand the miracles that had been taking place, and they were still on the physical level. They were not able to comprehend spiritual truth, and that's what happens when you resist the Lord and you resist the truth. And if you're exposed to regular Bible teaching, you can, if you're not seeking it, and your heart will harden and your faith won't grow. So kind of a, an important thing not to do. In verses 22 through 33, let's read the narrow gate. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. For once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I did not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. We taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets of the, in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out, they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed there will, are the last who will be first. And there are the first who will be last. And on that very day, some of the Pharisees came saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside Jerusalem. And so, again, I believe Jesus is warning the people about being presumptuous because the Jews were very presumptuous, were they not? Oh, we're the seed of Abraham. We're God's chosen people. We're his peculiar treasure, you know. And so they looked down their self-righteous noses at the Gentiles, thinking they were so much superior and better. And truly, as Romans 3, 2 tells us, the oracles of God were given to them. They had a special place. They understood how and were instructed on how to worship God. No other nation had received the commandments. It was them. And they had the inside track, as it were, to, to knowing God and understanding the ways of God. The other nations were deprived of that, but they begin to be self-righteous 
uh, in all that. <clears throat> and they thought simply just being a Jew, being an Israelite was sufficient to enter into the kingdom, and that's just not the case. It takes faith. It always re required faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness' sake. People in the Old Testament were saved the same way in which we are saved in the New Testament, by faith. We enter into a covenant of love. We know and understand God's loyal love to us in sending Christ to be our sacrifice. We enter into the new covenant by faith. We receive his blood for forgiveness of our sins. We express loyal love back to him for what he has done for us. And it's based upon our faith. Now when you think about uh, Jesus using gate as a, an illustration here, it's a perfect one, because in the ancient times, there were walls that were put around the cities, and they had gates that they would enter in and exit through uh, for safety's sake. A lot of enemies, and so you build a fence around, build a wall around your city, and you have certain places that you can come and go by. And so in regards to the kingdom of God, it's just like the gates were small for functionality's sake, the way into the kingdom of God was a narrow way. It was a prescribed way. It was a, it, only through this port could you come. And so the same is true about the kingdom of God. You have to come a certain way. You must come through the door and the gate, which we know to be Jesus Christ, the narrow gate. In, all, in other passages, parallel passages to this, Jesus compares the narrow and the wide. Uh, he does not hear, uh, but that's important here. Because what, what the gate is implying, and everybody seemed to understand, um, is that you needed salvation. You needed to be saved to go in and out, as it were, into the kingdom. You have to have faith to believe uh, your sins are forgiven to enter the kingdom of God. And going through this narrow gate would be a way of expressing that, uh, that you had eternal salvation. And he tells the people that this narrow gate was something that you had to strive after. It literally, it's the word we get our word agonized from. And strive to enter this through this narrow gate. It's going to take some effort. You don't have to do anything to enter through the wide gate. You just live your life and you'll end up in the wrong place. You don't have to do anything to be eternally lost. And this is something that the world has completely flipped on its head. Most everyone believes that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. I'm a good person. I mean, I can't tell you how many people over the years have, when I've shared the gospel with them, they always revert to, well, I'm not a bad person. And I never question that because I'm not the judge of that. But when we go to compare ourselves to God, there's none righteous. No, not one. I'm not perfect. No man is perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I must be changed. I must be saved in order to enter into the kingdom of God. It doesn't take any effort to be lost. The default 
position of those born into this world is eternal separation from God, not heaven. And so this is why we must enter in through this narrow gate. The narrow gate is hard, according to Jesus. you got to fight all the natural impulses to rebel against God. And it's not until we receive the Spirit of God that we're able to yield to Him, allow Him to change our hearts and change our lives. Entering the narrow gate takes faith, and it takes effort. And many, as he said, will seek to enter it, and yet they will not be able to find it because they are unwilling to come down off their self-righteous throne and admit that they are lost and sinful. How many people have trouble accepting the fact that they are not good enough to enter heaven by their works? And it's a sad place to be. So what we are learning from this, that our, this narrow gate, to be able to enter it, is based upon what? It's based upon relationship. We are to know, as Jesus said, as he indicates in this, know him personally. It's not what we have done. It's who we know that matters. We need to know him. And he needs to know us. I, as he says here, I mean, what an indictment. I don't know you. I don't know your origin. I don't know where you're from. Oh, you imagine spending a, a lifetime thinking you're right with God only to find out you're not? How terrible that will be for some. So relationship is not based upon information. Just because I know a lot of facts about Jesus. The Pharisees knew the scriptures they read the scriptures. And he said, you do read the scriptures and you, for you thinking of knowing them, you have eternal life. But they are those that speak of me. <laughs> so you can read the Bible, but if you don't know the author, it will profit you nothing. Relationship is not based on information, nor is it based upon works. I do a lot of good things, and I know that my good deeds far outweigh my bad deeds. Oh, yeah, everybody tells a fib now and then, you know. I went to church. I spent a lot of time teaching Sunday school, you know. I was part of a fellowship that did a lot of good things, you know. We had agape feast, you know. We ate and drank in your presence, you know. You can just see the similarities, you know. We, you know, in this case, we preached in the streets. Wow. You know, if you have a personal relationship with someone... It causes you to deal with your issues, doesn't it? You can't just, you know, if you love someone and your friendship and you do something that offends them, uh, they're going to tell you in a gentle way, in a loving way, and you're going to adjust your behavior accordingly if you're truly a friend. And that doesn't happen if you're living under the law. You're just measuring your progress and in, in your spirituality by, by what the law may say, and that's not a good place to be. The non-entry through the narrow gate means eternal separation. It's, you're actually rejecting God if you're not exercising faith in Jesus. And there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Notice Jesus says here, and this is, he's, this is addressing the establishment here. The first shall be last and the last first. How do, what, what, you know, there's at least this we can take away from that. Who were the first? 
the Jews, the Israelites, and this was the ministry of Jesus to the Jew first. And that's why he was reluctant to, to minister to the Gentiles, right? He did, you know, make his way up towards Lebanon there at one time and healed this Syrophoenician uh, lady, uh, her daughter that was demon-possessed, but he waited and waited until she exercised faith, and then he ministered to her. You know, we're called to, to, to the sons of Abraham first and then following with the Gentiles. And that's, was, was that not Paul's approach to, to? He would always go to the synagogues first as he established churches. To the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And so they had the oracles of God. They had first right of refusal, so to speak, right? And so they rejected. So what happened? The Lord turned to the Gentiles. The last, the unclean, the dogs. Yeah, that's how they looked at us. And they gladly received the gospel. And now, as you read through Romans, we are a provocation, are we not, to the Jewish nation. You know, the Christian nation and the Christian people throughout the world are a provocation to the Jews who still continue to live under the law. Someday... That blindness will be lifted, and they will be restored nationally. But for now, uh, many of them are blinded, and nationally they are blinded. Here in the end, as we come to the end, we see Jesus and his real nature come out. His love for Israel, his love for the nation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather the children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you're not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here we see again uh, the nation, the leadership resisting the love of God. How I see this so often in church of people resisting the Holy Spirit, resisting the love of God. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, Jesus wants to just surround you with his love. He wants to protect you. He wants to guide you. He wants to direct your life. How important that is. He wants to be the shelter for you, someone that you can run to. Now, I don't know why it is. I've been guilty of this. I learned, and I've overcome it. But there was a time when <clears throat> there was disappointment, discouragement in my life some years ago. And though I was continued in the ministry, it, I, it didn't stop me from that. It, just, it was just a subtle thing that I really wasn't aware that I was doing it. Uh, maybe thinking I was unworthy, which that's true. <laughs> but you can really lie to yourself where you no longer really are receiving as you should be receiving from the Lord. You know, first and foremost, there isn't a person in here that's worthy. All of us are unworthy, so that's not an issue. And that isn't the basis on which God works with us, is it? God works with us on the basis of grace, not your performance, because nobody can perform perfectly. And so if you begin to relate to God on the basis of his mercy... That God is merciful and kind and gracious. And that he wants to bless me more than I want to be blessed. 
And that's awful difficult for the natural man to accept. We, sort of, we, we kick against that. We resist grace. It doesn't make any sense to us. We somehow feel we must earn God's blessing. If I could just be good enough for God, if I could just be smart enough to serve God, if I just had enough wisdom or this or that, then God would bless me. And that is just so wrong thinking. Grace. We can define it, but to accept it and receive it and live in it is quite another. And But we must see the heart of God. Think of all the heinous things that they've already done against Jesus. You're calling him demon-possessed. He's done nothing but show compassion, feed people, heal people, teach people, and they're criticizing him continuously, and they hate his guts. And yet here he comes, weeping over the city because he knows their position of unbelief is going to bring about their destruction. May God give us that kind of compassion for the lost. When you share with someone, and you know, if you've been persecuted, if you've been suffered persecution, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't feel very good. The natural thing that we would do is to respond, become angry, and criticize and condemn these people. But when you're living in grace... You understand, and you leave that to God. You just trust him, and this is what Jesus would do. And one of the ways that helps us sort of yield to that and let it run its course is just realizing their end, how we ought to be filled with compassion for those that are doomed to destruction. Oh, God, just judge them. You know, to be honest with you, I, I have to deal with that when I think about what's going on in our nation and our leadership. Well, Lord, you know if they're going to repent. If they're not going to repent, judge them, you know. <laughs> you know, you just can't go there. Nobody, first of all, nobody gets away with anything. Everything's going to be measured out and judged accordingly. No, some people, it looks like they're getting away with murder. They're getting away with they're lawless and they're getting away with it. Well, they may be short term, but in the long term, no. And, th- and we just have to leave, leave it with the Lord and trust him for it. Notice it says here how Jesus uh, saw the day coming when he would be accepted. Now, we know that this was said of him in verse 35, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was said of him in the triumphant entry, right? But that's not really all that was involved there. Because nationally, they didn't accept him at that time. They killed him. They crucified him. But many of the people received him. Thus, uh, it was fulfilled there. But when will it be fulfilled? When will this actually happen? And Jesus sees this. He knows this. When he comes again the second time, it was, the scripture was read to us out of Revelation. The warrior returning on a white horse with the armies of heaven with him, with a robe dipped in blood, with the name Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And he will come and he will reign for a thousand years. And when he comes... And he splits the Mount of Olives and he enters into that 
eastern gate, they will cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what a day that will be. Don't forget that part of that verse includes you. Those of you who love the Lord this morning, it says he's coming with the armies of heaven. We'll all be riding horses. We're coming back with our husband. The bride of Christ will rule and reign with him. What a day that's going to be. What a day that's going to be. I want to close with this. I think the most important thing is that obviously we make these negative corrections in our life. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't uh, want to be, uh, as it were, um, hypocritical in any way. We don't want to resist the Lord. We don't want to be presumptuous. And we, we surely don't want to res be resisting God. We want to be free. And I, this little story of a guy, kid, these young kids, brother and sister. You know how brothers and sisters get along so well sometimes. Little brother is coming home and picks up a rock and throws it at the geese and he just nails one of them right in the head, kills him. <gasps> oh no. Sister watching. Please. He runs up and pleads with sister. Please don't tell mom and dad. Please, 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 please. Okay. You gotta do my dishes. When it's my turn, you do my dishes. It's on you. Okay. So this goes on for several days, several turns, and he, one day he says to his sister, I'm not doing your dishes anymore. You do them. I'll tell mom. I'm going to tell dad. You're going to get it then. No. I already told him. And now I'm free. You see, I think that's what happens to you and me sometimes. We, we cross the line. We don't make the adjustments we need. We feel a condemnation in our heart, and we're in bondage because we're not really bringing it to dad and confessing like we should. The most important thing is when you blow it and when you get off in the ditch, you get out of your lane, recognize it, bring it immediately to the Lord. Whether it's in a marriage relationship, whether it's in a relationship with a coworker, whether it's father, children, mother, children, whatever it might be. This is what we learn about walking with God. It is about relationship. Jesus makes a, as we've read, relationship is important. It's one of the most important things that we have in our life. It's not what, when we get to heaven, none of the things we did is really going to matter, but how we treated people. How did we treat people? God help us. And in order to really treat people right, we've got to be free. And that's our lesson for today. Father, we thank you for your word. And you're so gentle, Lord. These people were so mean and mean-spirited towards you. 
and yet you handled it with such grace, and yet you were firm, and you always told the truth. And those who responded to you and were saved through faith, they were a blessed people. Lord, we want to be on that same track. We don't want to resist you in any way, Lord. We want to become all that you intend us to be. And so to those ends, we pray, Father. May you go before us. May you give us a great week. May you show us how to deal with the issues in our life so that we can be free and become all that you intend us to be. Bless your people, Lord. Bless them indeed, in Jesus' name. Amen.